The New York Islanders live to play another day. They hold on for a dramatic 3-2 win in Game 5 in Carolina. We have our key takeaways from the game, and we'll start talking about what it'll take to win Game 6. All that and more on today's Locked On Islanders podcast. Sark tees it up, and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson, Barzell with the open net, and he scores! Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian. And I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. And welcome, everybody, to the Wednesday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We want to thank everyone for making Locked On Islanders your first listen every day. Don't forget to subscribe to YouTube or your podcatcher of choice to catch every episode as it drops. And of course, today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off your first purchase. We've got so much to get to on today's show, but first, if there's something Islanders related on your mind, if you have a question, a comment, maybe a topic you'd like us to discuss, on a future episode, feel free to send us an email. The email address, LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. And if you leave your first name and where you're from, we're happy to mention you on the show when we talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. You can also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnIsles. And you could follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWars, N-Y-R-V-S-N-Y-I. We'll keep you up to date on all the latest Islanders news, notes, and happenings, and I am live tweeting during every Islanders home and road playoff game. So join me for some instant insight and analysis, and hey, it's always great to talk a little Isles hockey with fellow Islanders fans, game time or any time. Wow, what a nerve-wracking, dramatic, exciting 3-2 to two win for the New York Islanders to keep their season alive, and it wasn't the prettiest game. I mean, if you actually honestly ask me whether the Islanders were the better team for the majority of this game, I would probably say no. I think the second period was perhaps their best period, but it was... uh, you know, not not the greatest performance. I mean, final shots on goal, 36 to 22 in favor of Carolina, including 12 to 5 in the third period. But we expected that. You're nursing that three to one lead going into the period. But wow, the Islanders did the little things they needed to do in order to earn the victory. And uh, I mean, we'll start with a, a few of them. Let's start with maybe the most basic. The Islanders got on the board first. And in this series, 
through five games, the team that has scored first has won all five games. And if you think about it, you know, okay, the first goal in a game is always big. Hockey is not like the NFL where scores go into the 20s, 30s, 40s, or the NBA where you're going to get 110 points per team per game. You know, you get if you win a game 3-2 to two and you get that first goal, that puts you at a big advantage. But in this series, even more so because... What do the Islanders and Hurricanes both like to do? They like to take away time and space. They like to uh, keep you from getting those high danger area chances. And these two teams both prefer to play with a lead. The style that they play is conducive to taking the lead. So when the Islanders got the first period goal from Pierre Engvall and then a second period goal from Brock Nelson, all of a sudden, you know, you're up two to nothing early in the second period. That does not allow Carolina to play the way they want to play. And it does allow the Islanders to play the way they want to play. So Overall, getting the first goal in this game and then the second goal in this game was huge. And, you know, the Islanders did not trail in this game from start to finish. It was even for the first 10 and a half minutes. Then it was 1-0 Islanders, 2-0, 2-1, 3-1, 3-2, and that's where it ends. So big deal for the Islanders to get that early lead and then be able to hold it. The second reason in my mind as to how the Islanders got the win, and I think this one should be obvious, and we talked about it on the show yesterday, Ilya Sorokin. He was lights out. 34 saves in the 36 shots he faced, some of them quite spectacular. The Islanders made their share of mistakes, had trouble throughout the game clearing the zone, but nine times out of ten, Sorokin bailed them out. Now, yes, the first Carolina goal, he should have frozen that puck. He did not, and it ended up costing him. So, you know, no question there that he was partially or substantially at fault for that goal. But over the course of the game, uh, the Islanders easily could lose, you know, 5-3 if it weren't for the outstanding play of Ilya Sorokin. So it really did make a difference for the Islanders to have their goaltender play the way he's capable of playing. And, you know, the save percentage, 34 saves and 36 shots, 944 for this game. And we talked about it. Sorokin hadn't been bad. I think in the first four games, uh, he played one game that was just not good. Probably game four. But overall, he was okay. But when you're the underdog and you're playing against the team with the second best record in the league, and especially on the road like the Islanders were last night, you need your goalie to not be solid or good. You need your goalie to be on his A game And make no mistake, Ilya Sorokin was on his A game in Carolina in Game 5. And then let's go to special teams because they have been a problem for the Islanders 
all season. And make no mistake, and throughout this series, make no mistake, the power play went 0 for 3. They were still pretty darn bad from start to finish uh, with the extra attacker. And the I, I think it was the first power play. They gave up a breakaway, gave up more shorthanded chances than power play chances they created. The power play is dangerous. And here's something I really don't understand. Please explain this to me. The Islanders ended up with a partial power play later in the game because you had Sebastian Ajo of the Islanders go off for holding and then Sebastian Ajo of Carolina a minute and what? A, a minute and 20 seconds later, roughly, minute 18 later, he goes off for high sticking. So the Islanders end up with a less than two-minute power play. But for a, about a minute 10, a minute 12 seconds, you have the power play. There is, what, about five and a half, six minutes left in the game. You're on the power play. Why aren't you using two defensemen there, Lane Lambert? You know how vulnerable this power play is to giving up shorthanded goals. You know that Carolina is good at scoring shorthanded goals, especially Sebastian Ajo. you got to go with two defensemen, but instead Brock Nelson still playing the point. Matthew Barzal still playing the point. Come on, you're protecting a lead. Yeah, you want to score on the power play, but first and foremost, you have got to cover up and make sure you don't give up uh, a power play goal. But look, the power play 0 for 3, but didn't do any harm. Although, there, like I said, there were chances, but the penalty kill. The Islanders stayed out of the box for most of the game. There were only four power plays for Carolina. I would have preferred two or three, but four. And they killed all of them off. Now, there was a power play goal that was rightfully overturned on an offside call. The replay was very clear, but it was vital for the New York Islanders to make sure that they made the stops they needed to make and kill off those penalties, and they actually did a good job. Amazingly, for the Islanders, they had, uh, you know, two power, uh, power play shots on goal and gave up two shorthanded shots on goal. Not good. The power play was, again, shaky. But at least the penalty kill came. And you know what? What was the rating on this game on uh, with the power play and the shorthanded? Even. Didn't give up any goals. Didn't score any goals. Islanders got the job done five on five. That's how they have to win. All right. We've got a lot more to get to on today's show. There will be a Game 6. That is the greatest news that we've heard. Don't forget, Game 6 coming up Friday at 7 o'clock Eastern Time back at the UBS Arena. You can catch every minute of this vital playoff game with the Islanders' hometown broadcast on SiriusXM on the SXM app. Just search Islanders. We've got more to get to on today's show. We'll have our uh, unsung hero of the game, our go to the game, and we'll talk a little bit more about both some of the things the Islanders did well and some of the things they're going to have to clean up before, uh, you know, if they if they really want to end up winning game six and 
forcing an, a seventh and deciding game back in Carolina. All that and more still to come on today's Locked On Islanders podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Folks, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you could stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you have. And look, forget about planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals for tickets uh, for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. So download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNHL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, so the Islanders, what else did they do well in this game. Well, I got to give some credit. Now, I was critical of Lane Lambert for not putting two defensemen out on that late power play in the third period, but he did do some other things that I think actually were working well. And one of the things he did is split up and re-scramble the first and third line. Yeah, they started the game with Horvat, Lee, and Barzal, Pajot, Parise, and Fashing, but eventually it was Horvat, Parise, and Fashing, and it was Pajot, Lee, and Barzal, and you know, I think having guys who are more grinders like Parise and Fashing suited Bo Horvat a little bit better, and Horvat ended up with an assist in this game, still only had one shot on goal, would like to see a little bit more from him offensively, but I think there was a little more chemistry with that, and look, Lane Lambert kept shifting the lines around, and one other thing that he did that I liked, a lot of the time, especially in the third period, the Islanders had two centers out there. Who led the Islanders in ice time among forwards? If you said Casey Sezikis, you were right, 19 minutes and 4 seconds, and that was often because either Casey Sezikis or J.G. Pajot were out there at the start of a face-off because if one forward or one center got kicked out, Lane Lambert made sure there were two centers out there, and I think that was good. And the other thing that I think he did well was rolling four lines after Sezikis, who was out there for 19:04, Bo Horvat was next at 16:47, and no Islander forward was out there for less than 11:44. So the difference between your second most ice time among forwards and the least amount of ice time among forwards was a mere five minutes and three seconds over the course of the game. Now, part of that is staying out of the penalty box more, not taking, you know, misconduct penalties and double minors and things that really mess with your, uh, you know, with your ice time. But again, I think it really did help 
the Islanders in that respect that they were able to keep everybody fresh and roll four lines. The other thing the Islanders did in this game, and it wasn't as lopsided as it was in game three, but they were out there being physical. They out-hit Carolina 33-27. Cal Clutterbuck with six hits uh, to lead all players. And then Scott Mayfield and Alexander Romanov both next with four. But again, the Islanders weren't afraid to be physical, but weren't taking dumb penalties while staying physical and not engaging in any Real, I mean, were there any scrums in this game? Was there any real extracurricular activity? No, there was intensity. There were some moments that were a little scary at times as far as players getting possibly hurt. But overall, I liked the way the team stayed disciplined, and that really helped. And here's the other reason why I think the Islanders were really, really able to win this game. They were only credited with five giveaways in this game, and officially none by defensemen. Now, again, giveaways are kind of tricky things uh, as far as, you know, the way the NHL calculates them. But the fact of the matter is, in Game 4, the Islanders, if I recall correctly, had 22 giveaways. You cut that down to five and you're doing something right. And the Islanders also blocked their share of shots. And the thing about shot blocking is it is sacrificing your body. It is really a statistic of desire. What do you think the shot blocking numbers were for the game here? The Islanders blocked 22 shots in this game. The Carolina Hurricanes blocked four. Zach Parise led all Islanders with five block shots. Parise blocked more shots than the entire team of the Carolina Hurricanes in this game. And that is a big deal for the New York Islanders. So, I mean, you, you look at it, only two forwards didn't block a shot in this game. Every other forward except for Bo Horvat and Kyle Palmieri, blocked at least one shot. And the defensemen didn't block as many. Polak had two. Aho had two. Uh, and then you had one each by Pelik and Dobson. Mayfield and Romanov, who were busy hitting, didn't block shots, but the forwards were getting the job done. Three block shots by Casey Sezikis, and then every other forward except the two I mentioned had one. When you out, when you have more shots blocked by a margin of 22 to 4, there's your desperation. There is your desire. There is the thing that means you wanted it. And that really reflects well on the New York Islanders in this game. As for the unsung hero and the goat of the game, go to the game, I, I, I have to go with Noah Dobson uh, just because he really struggled turning the puck over or getting the puck out of his own zone. It remains a problem. His regression in his own zone is frustrating. So uh, it wasn't a, a terrible performance, but Dauber, I think, is going to get the goat of the game. And as for the unsung hero, 
lot of possibilities. I mean, Sorokin is your first star. I can't give it to Brock Nelson or Pierre Engvall because they both had two points in this game. I'm going with Hudson Fashing. Two shots on goal, two hits, a block shot, and did so many little things uh, to win 50-50 puck battles, which was a problem for the Islanders as a team for much of this game. So to me, Hudson Fashing gets the unsung hero, but there were a lot of other players who certainly were in the conversation. And you know what? That, to me, is a welcomed thing. Well, Game 6, don't forget, is coming up on Friday back at the UBS Arena. It's, again, win or go home. It'll be the Islanders and the Hurricanes, and you can catch every minute of this big playoff game with an Islanders hometown broadcast on the Sirius XM app, SXM. Just search Islanders. All right, we've got more to get to on today's show. We're going to talk about some of the things this team needs to do better uh, in Game 6 if they want to keep this series going. Plus, we'll have our Islanders birthday of the day. All that and more on today's Locked On Islanders podcast. So there were some things that this team definitely needs to clear up, and we touched on one of them, getting the puck out of the zone. So often in the defensive zone, the Islanders would fail to clear the puck, and there'd be a 50-50 puck battle, and they would just lose it time after time. Uh, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but if, if I'm thinking off the top of my head, I would say it was about at least 60% of those 50-50 puck battles were won by Carolina, especially in the Islander zone. And that's one of the reasons why Carolina had all of that, you know, that advantage in shots on goal, 36 to 22. And then when you add on the shots blocked, 22 more shots blocked by the Islanders in this game, when you add that in, uh, uh you, you know, that, that takes it up to 48, and that doesn't include shots that went wide as far as when you total up shot attempts. So, you know, got to win more of those 50-50 puck battles and be a little more efficient at clearing the puck out of the zone. The identity line, they struggled. They really did struggle at times in this game. It was... Uh, a little frustrating, and I think Lane Lambert played them a little too often late in the game. Uh, I mean, officially, Sezikis was a minus one, Clutterbuck a minus one, Matt Martin was even, but the the identity line, in particular, struggled when they had the puck and, and struggled to clear the puck out of the defensive zone. And again, I mentioned... Uh, Dobson, who just absolutely uh, struggled in his own zone again, and that is certainly an issue. And again, the power play has got to be doing something more in the next game. You break even and you have a chance to win, but that means your penalty kill has to be perfect. And, you know, again, I think the power play for the Islanders out of the three they had, two of them were kind of momentum killers, and you can't afford to have momentum-killing uh, power plays. Your power play should at least produce quality chances and should not give up quality chances, and the Islanders' power play is still doing that. So 
There's still some things this team needs to clean up, but you know what? In this game, they took advantage of their chances, and, you know, they didn't have a lot of scoring chances, and you look at the shot clock, uh, I mean, the shot chart, and the maybe the Islanders only had 22 shots on goal, was it, in this game? But they, they, they were not, you know, there were about six or seven high quality, maybe eight. Whereas, you know, Carolina, they probably had about 10 to 12 high quality chances. But again, Sorokin shined, and that was, again, a big difference in this game. So, game six, the Islanders live to play another day, and... It's back at UBS Arena. It's one more home game. And you know what? If you can win at home, wow, anything can happen in a Game 7. Time now for our Islanders' birthday of the day. And uh, this today's player was only an Islander briefly, but, you know, he did make his contributions. Uh, we're a day early on this one, but Thursday will be the 39th birthday of former Islanders center Pierre-Marc Bouchard. The network, uh, the native, rather, of Sherbrooke, Quebec, a first-round pick by the Minnesota Wild back in 2002, made his debut in 02-03 with the Wild and stayed with them through the 2012-2013 season, then joined the Islanders, split his time between Bridgeport and the big club, played 28 games as an Islander, Four goals, nine points, 12 penalty minutes, and then finished his career in Switzerland, uh, hanging it up after 2015-2016. Bouchard was more of a, of a defensive forward, especially during his time with the Islanders. He had 120-goal, 57-point season with Minnesota, had a 59-point season also. So he was capable offensively, but not, you know, when, when he reached Long Island, he was pretty much at the end of the uh, of the line in his NHL career. But his best game with the Islanders, well, November 12, 2013, in at home, Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, Islanders and the Nashville Predators in this one with Kevin Poulin in goal for the Isles. And the Islanders win it 3-1, Pierre-Marc Bouchard scoring the game-winning goal, albeit late in the first period, and that was uh, his first goal as an Islander, and it helped the Islanders win the hockey game by a score of 3-1. to one. So Pierre-Marc Bouchard, only briefly an Islander, but he is our Islanders' birthday of the day. Don't forget, Friday, we have our big game six coming up at the UBS Arena, 7 o'clock Eastern time. You can catch every minute of this Big playoff game and listen to the Islanders hometown broadcast with Sirius XM on the SXM app. Just search Islanders. And of course, we will be talking about that. And yeah, we'll do a bonus episode after the game Friday night, uh, as long as you guys want me to do it. Thanks for making Locked On Islanders your first listen every day. Every dayers will be back tomorrow. We'll talk a little bit more about how the Islanders can go about winning Game 6 and what the keys to that game will be. And we'll kind of take a step back and look at the team's overall performance in the playoffs, what they're doing well, what they need to improve. So, everydayers, 
make sure you join us and thanks for listening and watching every day. That does it for this episode of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Have a great day, everybody. Enjoy this big win. This season isn't quite over yet. Stay safe. And of course, let's go Islanders.